Dude, there's nothing I would change about the Burger King Grill Dog. Same. Nothing I would change either. They're made with 100% beef. They got the grill marks on there. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like, um... Grilled dogs. Oh. Grilled dogs. Get a grilled dog now at Burger King. Starting at just $1.99. Price and participation vary. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Chuck Morse here, live at um, Chuck Morse Speaks and Podcasted. We're awaiting the arrival of my guest, Dr. Troy Lawrence. He is a young earth creationist whose ministry and purpose is to reach others through teaching and sharing the incredible amount of evidence that supports the biblical account of creation, the great flood, and more. Um, Dr. Lawrence acknowledges that many who reject the Christian faith do so because of their understanding of how the world came into being. Do not reconcile this with the Bible. Dr. Lawrence is trying to change that by sharing the reality of the young earth, proof of the great flood, and much more. And uh, we shall await uh, the arrival of uh, Dr. Lawrence. Um, this is uh, a topic that's of great interest to me uh, as, as the author myself of a book uh, called Apostles of Creation um, and uh, Apostles of Evolution, I should say. <laughs> Maybe I'll get this right. Um, which... Uh, deals mostly with the uh, the political question and the social question regarding the impact of uh, of the theory of evolution as opposed to the scientific questions, which I also address in the book, but um, put them aside slightly. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that um, the evolution, the theory of evolution, from the moment it was launched officially, in 1859, when um, Charles Darwin's book, um, Origin of Species, was released, um, and really which goes back to the French Revolution, actually, and uh, Darwin's grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, who first uh, proposed a theory of of evolution very similar to that of Charles Darwin, um, that that this has been a cornerstone of the so-called progressive movement. It has been an article of faith um, for the um, international-minded uh, left, if you will. And, uh, and as such, it is something that really has become taboo to question. It's unquestioned. It's, it's accepted as hard science. And in the beginning, the issue was sold through a series of um, public lectures by... Um, by D.H. Uh, Huxley, who was Julian Huxley's grandfather and Aldous Huxley's grandfather, and who was called the bulldog of Darwin's bulldog um, in England. He, um, he wrote the review of the, uh, the book Origin of Species for the London Times, which uh, launched the book into the establishment atmosphere. He uh, promoted the book by making speeches around Great Britain and often debating clerics and ministers, and uh, usually trying to turn the tables by um, mocking them, by engaging in um, forcing them to scientifically prove various p- uh, pieces of the Bible. You know, can you prove to me that Methuselah will live to be 10,000 years old? And this sort of thing. And then they brought up, basically held up the Bible for a great deal of scorn and ridicule. And uh, the the ministers involved 
for the most part, got sucked into this sort of argument. And they did not, as a result, question the efficacy of the theory of evolution itself, which is something that was very rarely discussed. Um, instead, um, you know, there was, again, this sort of um, mocking of religious faith. Well, well, the fact of the matter is that if you take a look at the theory of evolution itself, which is that uh, mankind and that life emerged, as Darwin said in his journal, from a small warm pond and somehow through a series of breeding, crashing together of opposites, if you will, kind of a biological dialectic, a Hegelian process, out would emerge fantastically complex uh, organisms, eventually man. And that, uh, that we're supposed to believe that this all happened by accident, by, by what Darwin called random selection. I think that, uh, I mean, the idea, I mean, there are two parts, of course, this spontaneous generation, which was that life somehow came out of non-life through a series of crashing into each other, and that once life was created, then through a process of breeding, or again, what Darwin called natural selection, you would end up with man. Um, it's really a fantastical theory. It's one that is utterly unproven. There is no evidence of it. There's no uh, fossil evidence that any species evolved into a superior species. There are certainly adaptations within a species, adaptations to environment and other considerations. And sometimes uh, evolutionists will try to sell that as proof of evolution, but that doesn't prove anything at all. All that proves is that over time, various species can change and adapt to different environments. They don't evolve. They just change within the species. They don't become a new species. And, uh, it, you know, in a sense, it's sort of like uh, amongst uh, us human beings, why do we have some people who are darker skinned than others? It's because they've, their ancestors adapted to different environments. If you live closer to the equator, and you're exposed to more direct sunlight, you develop a, strong, a darker skin because that is able to uh, deflect the sunlight and, and make sure that you don't absorb too much, maintain an optimum level of health. You know, it's, it's part of a balance. Whereas if you live closer to the North Pole, you might have lighter skin because you want to absorb as much sun as possible since... Uh, you know, the uh, the days are shorter, the, the, the sun is further away from the, you know, from the earth, and uh, and thus you need more sunlight on your skin in order to maintain your balance of health. So these things are adaptations. They're not evolution. To suggest that they, they constitute some sort of an evolution would be to suggest that one group is superior to the other. In other words, it's racist. You know, there's no difference between black and white people other than their ancestors adapted to different environments. Those are not real differences. Those are simply adaptations. So the theory is racist at its core. But more fundamentally, the theory does not address a biblical concept. Whether you believe literally in the Bible or not, 
the biblical idea of man's origin is found in the book of Genesis where it says that all men and women were created in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean some men were more or less than others. It means that all living human beings, both men and women, and it does say women, by the way, are images of God. And out of that concept comes the American concept, which is, again, biblical, which is that all men are created equal. Uh, Once you establish that, then you can talk about what we're endowed with by our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But, uh, But the fact is that this runs contrary to the Darwinian idea, which is that we are unequal. We are at different levels of the evolutionary chain as we struggle toward a new kind of a man that would be more evolved. These Enlightenment ideas were also animated by such philosophers as Thomas Malthus, the, uh, the early 19th century British Enlightenment figure, who believed in the concept of scarcity, that matter is scarce and finite, and that includes human beings, that there's resources that are scarce on the planet. And thus, if we reproduce too much, we're going to run out of resources and we're all going to starve to death. Uh, you know, this is sort of one of the animating principles that underlies the modern environmental movement and the modern population control movement, that human beings cannot sustain themselves if we have too many people, which justifies things like abortion and forced uh, sterilizations in places like communist China. And ultimately is a card in the deck of those who seek to create a world order, a world government, where all life on earth is managed by an elite. Which brings me full circle, in that this is exactly the agenda, I would argue, of the theory of evolution. This is why the theory of evolution is so important to the establishment left. The theory of evolution implies that man as an animal uh, without a creator of the universe who created us equally, but yet who is just on the earth, you know, living as, as a bag of bones, basically, that man can evolve and thus it becomes the job of the society to make sure that man evolves in, in a positive way and, you know, to get rid of those who are useless eaters or, or people who are less evolved or, or at least quarantine them and, and, and separate them from, from the main uh, group, group which continues to evolve and grow until eventually a new species is created. <clears throat> and um, Marx was very influenced by Darwin, of course, was a contemporary of Darwin, probably met him at least a couple of times. They both lived in London around the same time or lives in England, I should say, around the same time. I think Marx actually lives in Manchester. And, uh, and in fact, Karl Marx wanted to dedicate the second volume of his magnum opus, Capital, to Darwin. Uh, Darwin refused the honor because, or, or if, if you assume it is an honor, because he said that he, uh, he didn't feel that he was an economist, so he didn't want to put his name on it. But there's a copy of Marx's signed copy edition in 
Darwin's House Library in London. Um, and that's uh, Frederick Engels, Darwin's business manager and corporate uh, sponsor. He, uh, he stated at, Darwin's, at Marx's funeral that Darwin's ideas had everything to do with the development of Marx's theories of evolution, except Marx transposed the idea of evolution onto societies. In other words, it was not so much a biological theory, although certainly the Marxists accept that as a given, but that it becomes a societal theory. It becomes a theory of societies evolving to a superior state. So thus you have ancient man evolving into feudalism, evolving into capitalism, evolving into socialism, and finally reaching the ultimate state where all people become de facto equal. It's the furthest state you can go in social evolution. There's nothing after that. That's utopia. And Marx called that communism. That would be when the world becomes one gigantic, massive ant colony and that uh, life on earth becomes something that we could not possibly recognize. No property, no anything that would separate us or make us unequal because everything has to be, at that point, de facto equal. The state withers away because it had served its purpose of using force and violence to, to, to further you know, mold man on the anvil by getting rid of those who are not uh, standing in the way those who are not politically correct. And thus you have an end to uh, such uh, bourgeois affectations or what Karl Marx calls false consciousness as, uh, as love, as family, as commitment, as nation states, as sovereignty, as property, as the right to trade in goods and services. All of these things which create inequality are pulled into one great international beehive. And from each according to his ability to each according to his needs is the ethos in that you are there to serve man, to uh, be supplied only by what you need and anything above and beyond that is to be pulled into a massive um, pool of uh, resources to be redistributed equally and that uh, somehow once the communist stage is reached and you no longer need an elite running the show, man will just become a part of nature and will inherently know how much to produce. They will no, no longer be excess capital or excess production. And, of course, there will be no longer any need for money since the, since the means of exchange will be uh, solved. There'll be Everything will be equal. And, of course the world that Marx envisioned is impossible because it runs completely and utterly contrary to human nature. It doesn't mean that they haven't tried it. They certainly have. They've, as a result, they've slaughtered hundreds of millions of human beings and others, millions more, have lost their, their, their income and their, their freedom and their, their lives in the real de facto sense. And, of course, the other stream of socialism that was influenced by Darwin was was Nazism. That was the more biological version. The quest to create the new species, the superior species, that Hitler called the Ubermensch. 
<clears throat> where where supermen and superwomen, blonde hair, blue eyed, they live to be hundreds of years old, they'd have great health, they'd be super strong, super smart, and also have cosmic consciousness. That would be a new species that would evolve from man after a series of breeding. And that these ideas spring from the Darwinian idea. They are actually the logical manifestation and result, at least the attempt to achieve them, of the Darwinian idea. Of course, to achieve these things is impossible because it runs against human nature. Obviously, man is not evolving. That's absurd. I mean, you could take a look at very smart people and see that their offspring and their grandchildren are not all that bright. <laughs> I mean, we know of examples of this in our own lives. We'll just leave it at that. And vice versa. You could have people who come from very little and, you know, very backward backgrounds and they become super smart. So I think it's obvious that um, evolution has more to do with character and has more to do with um, circumstance and luck and ability and, and work ethic and pluck. And that, and that evolution as an individual is spiritual and individual. It's not collective. You know, you don't pass it down. I mean, you certainly can use your advantages to pass it down to, to not only your, your family, but to the world because of what you've accomplished. But ultimately, the evolution of the individual is up to the individual. It's not a, a collective question. So I think that, you know, we can reject the theory of evolution and understand that this is a theory of the elites who seek to place themselves in a position where they are the avatars, they are the, you know, the leaders who, who decide for the rest of us who are less evolved uh, how to live, and that they feel morally compelled to do that. They feel righteous. The Nazis felt morally right about the Holocaust because they felt they were getting rid of people who stood in the way of progress. Lenin, Stalin, they felt morally right, morally superior in their genocides and in their agendas to starve millions of people to death because these were people who had to go. They stood in the way of progress. It was like Lenin is reported to have said, get a crack a few eggs to make an omelet. And so you have this, uh, this embrace by the international establishment of an atheistic idea that strips away a moral code <clears throat> that comes from God, strips away a moral code that exists thus outside of the hand of man, outside of the ability of human beings to manipulate it, and you have thus that replaced by this elite who claims to be evolving man and thus operating in our own nature. So that, in a nutshell, is what my book is about, The Apostles of Evolution. And I get into the history of that movement right up to the present day. And I contrast it with the biblical idea. Now, whether you are a fundamental believer in every word of the Torah or not, and as a Jew, I do believe in the Torah, but I don't necessarily subscribe to it in the literal sense. I think that um, I leave it up to the Talmud and the rabbis to interpret it. Having said that, I don't look, I believe every word of it. And I think that every 
single shot in the fiddle of it is divine. But uh, I look to the rabbis to, t- to give me the lessons of it and to put it into a context that can conduct, you know, instruct my own life and, and the life of, of nations. Um, but having said that, I think that the biblical story of creation has a great has a, is head and shoulders above the uh, the strange story of evolution, and that's true scientifically. And by the way, there's no difference between science and faith. Science is simply the ability of man to, and the quest of man to understand and interpret and apply the lessons from that interpretation of God's creation, God's world, God's universe. And so there's no contradiction there. There's, no, there's nothing in science that would deny the existence of a, of a spirit, of a supernatural, of a soul, of God. It, they, they coexist quite well together. It's just two different disciplines, of course. <clears throat> it's like the difference between studying German and Spanish. They're two different languages. But they don't contradict each other. If anything, they complement each other. And scientifically speaking, I think the theory of creation has its head and shoulders above the theory of evolution. Uh, there are many growing numbers of scientists who believe that man is descended from one woman, what's called the primordial Eve, or the mitochondrial Eve, and even possibly one man who has been called the Y-chromosome Adam. And there's, there's growing genetic evidence of this, that we all have a common ancestor. We all came from one couple. How this happened is unknown. The Bible doesn't tell us explicitly. And by the way, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that the earth itself isn't millions of years old. This is where I might disagree with Dr. Troy Lawrence, and we'll have him on the show another time. He's obviously didn't make it today. Um, If you look at the book of Genesis, it says nothing about the, the time difference between, you know, I suppose it does, but it's how you interpret it. The creation of the earth itself could have been done a million years before Adam and Eve were, were, were entered into the picture. You know, it's all a matter of how you look at it. These are mysteries. Um, but either way, I mean, the, the important aspect of it, besides the one mother and the one father, is that all men and women are created equal, and thus every single one of us has a life that is worth a universe. Every life has value. A moral society is one that protects human life, and that means the most frail and vulnerable amongst us, the children, the elderly, the sick. You know, they say that um, America has a much more expensive health care system and, and that's a whole different issue I could get into another time, why we're not healthy. I think that there's a lot going on there. Uh, there's a conspiracy, I think, but I'm not going to go there right now. I will simply point out that one of the reasons why 
our healthcare system is so strong and so expensive is because we value human life. We're willing to pay enormous amounts of money to keep someone alive for another year, another couple of months, another couple of weeks. Other countries, like, for example, Great Britain, and some of these countries with socialized medicine, they don't do that. So they have great-looking statistics, mainly because people are all dead. We value human life, and that's why we spend more money on it. We spend money because it's where our values are. And we could talk separately about how to improve health. But the facts, I'm just speaking here on the, on the, on the facts on the ground, and that is that we put great value in human life, and I think that's because our country is the nation that most reflects the, uh, the values of the, of the Bible, which is the foundation stone of our nation. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to be denominationally Christian or Jewish. It's nothing to do with it. Philosophically, the Bible is the founding document of America. Anyway, I want to thank you all for listening in to this podcast this afternoon. My name is Chuck Morse. My books are available at Amazon Kindle. Um, I'm specifically talking right now about Apostles of Evolution. Um, I also um, have um, other books there. And uh, my, my daily uh, broadcast, besides the podcast, my live broadcast, I'm actually doing it on Facebook. And the show is called, you go to my Facebook page, and the show is called The Boston Uberman. One of the things I do besides um, writing life and health insurance policies is I drive for Uber. It's great fun, by the way. And I do an Uberman broadcast right from Facebook in the car between customers, including with passengers. I've had a couple with passengers went on with me. And I talk about the issues of the day. You could check that out on Boston Uberman through Facebook, or you could go to my Boston Uberman blog site where the show is archived. Anyway, once again, I want to thank you all for listening this afternoon. I will try to get in touch with Dr. Troy Lawrence. I'm sure he'll reschedule. There's obviously been some mistake about how to call into the show, so we'll figure it out. And uh, thanks so much, everybody. Have a nice day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.